0: And welcome to Spotlight On, the podcast that brings together business leaders, entrepreneurs and experts covering a range of topics. I'm Nicholas Barton, founder and CEO of the Barton Partnership, an award-winning executive recruitment and consulting solutions firm providing permanent search and independent consulting services across strategy, sustainability and M&A, data and analytics and transformation and change.
1: Welcome, everyone. I'm Imogen Seer, Senior Consultant and Consumer Practice Lead at the Barton Partnership. I'm thrilled to be hosting the second episode of our new podcast series celebrating inspiring female career stories. Today, I'm joined by Yana Sieber, Managing Director at Arriva Group. Yana started out in consulting and has since built an impressive career in the leisure travel and mobility industry, and in November of last year, was featured as a Woman to Watch and Advocate for Change by WIHTL. Women in hospitality, travel, and leisure. So, Jana, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today for our new series celebrating inspiring women in leadership. Can you tell me about your career journey to date?
0: Great. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Where do I start? So, I am Czech originally, I grew up in the Czech Republic and then came over to the UK first to study English. And then, you know, I realized I actually quite liked it here. So I decided to go to university in the UK. Uh, Studied at Oxford. Uh, I have BA in experimental psychology. And while at Oxford, I have picked up a leaflet which uh, described management consulting, which sounded like an absolutely amazing job for someone who had no idea what they wanted to do. Right? I just thought, dream job. I don't really know what I want to be. And here I get to try different things, Different companies, different teams, different functions. So I get to know the business. So out of Oxford, I've joined Booz Allen in London and I worked in Booz Allen for about a year. And that was just about the time of the Internet bubble bursting. So unfortunately, I had to switch jobs and I have joined Accenture in their strategy and business architecture team Straight from Booz Spent another two years there working on a variety of projects in uh, consumer products industries. And then, you know, as often in consulting, I started having an eye on an MBA as, as that, that tends to be quite a logical way, especially for people with non-business degrees. So I have um, applied to a number of European schools, uh, got got a stipend and and a scholarship to London Business School, which was also good because while, you know, I really enjoyed my in consulting, I was beginning to question whether consulting is a career path for me forever, if you like. And so I spent uh, the internship between the two years at LBS doing an industry job so I I worked for SAB Miller for a couple of months which was a a fantastic job you know working in a marketing team of a beer company attending all rock concerts and sports events it was great but also made me realize that actually as an MBA grad if you go into industry the jobs are quite you know mid-management but actually not quite at the level where you could work as a consultant where as a consultant you may be the most junior person in the room but you will get to sit in the room with the CEO talking about strategic decisions and so I decided to go back to consulting for a few years I never really thought this was going to be a job for life but I thought let me go back to consulting do another few years of of consulting job and then then decide what exactly I want to do and so I joined Bain after London Business School And originally, I intended to be there for maybe three, four years, make a manager and then go. But I actually really, really loved my time with Bain. And so stay way longer than anticipated. And I think I left after about eight years, just at the point when I really needed to make the decision. Do I want to go for it and make a partner or do I finally actually go and get a real job? And so I decided I didn't want to be a partner. And so I decided it's time to switch into industry. And so... I was looking for the typical, you know, stepping stone for a strategy consultant, for a strategy role in a a company. And actually what came my way was a commercial strategy director role at Avis Budget Group. And I really liked it because it wasn't the box standard corporate strategy job. I felt like while, you know, obviously using my strategic skill set, I could also learn something about, you know, the commercial part of the business. And so I've accepted that role, and I and I started working in the commercial strategy role, and then fairly quickly developed that role into a lead on franchisee part of the business, which Avi's budget, especially in the international, has got a massive franchising. Part of the business which is actually almost half of their profits come from franchisees and so I, I initially was asked to do a strategy for that part of the business unit in in my remit as a commercial strategy director and through uh developing that strategy which was then presented to the global board i got myself a role of implementing it with the team so i started managing the the franchisee part of the business first for europe and then eventually over the years, I grew it uh, across Asia, Pacific, as well as Latin America. So I ended up pretty much managing the global franchisee business for Avis Budget and all sorts of other brands that we had in the group. So that was fantastic. And I really enjoyed that and really developed that commercial skill set. Right. There was a lot of negotiations. But what I didn't have was obviously full p responsibility because this was really just a commercial role. And so my next step, where, you know, at that point I really knew I wanted to be in general management and going for that PL responsibility, I started looking for a role that would allow me to do that. And unfortunately, there wasn't one available in, in Avis Budget, although I did manage Zipcar uh, in Europe for a while, which was full PL, but it is a very small business. So I was looking for something slightly more substantial. And so... An opportunity at Arriva came, which was exactly what I was looking for at that point, which was managing a portfolio of seven countries, full P&L responsibility. Um, You know, all of these were European countries, quite a nice mix of Northern, Central and Eastern Europe. And um, yeah, so I transferred to Arriva and obviously coming from Private transport, which is car rental, to public transport. There were certain things which were you know, similar because it's in the general area of mobility, but also very different businesses where, where a car rental is much more B2B and B2C, whereas public transport is much more B2G. Our customers are typical governments. And so great learning experience. And I've now been at Arriva three years and I'm, I'm still in the learning stage and, and loving the job growing my portfolio of countries and uh, yeah that's where I ended up.
1: The Arriva Management Board has achieved a 50-50 female and male ratio. Can you share some observations with us around how you've achieved that?
0: It's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, this is the first time I've, I've been at, at any team that has got 50% females. And uh, and the great thing, this is not just your token marketing director, token HR director, token lead counsel. We have got two managing directors. We have got chief transformation officer as well as a corporate affairs officer. So obviously, we have uh, an HR director who is incredibly strong in her views on diversity and so she was a part of hiring me and my counterpart into europe and so the two new managing directors about three years ago were both women and we were a result of that of that recruiting process then so obviously i didn't have a hand in that and so there were three of us on on the board and the most recent addition Shian Layden, who is our chief transformation officer has only joined quite recently um, Of course, there needs to be that general awareness of diversity is important, and it has to start on top, right? Because if you've got board full of middle-aged men, it is incredibly hard to drive the diversity in the lower ranks because there are no role models, right? I mean, the, the young and strong women who come into the businesses, if they've got no role models to look up to, it is very difficult to retain them and inspire them. And so I think we kind of started on top, and now we need to make sure that, our teams are as diverse and, and and we are nowhere near there, right? I mean, you know, I've got some women on my team and but nowhere near fifty percent, which I should aspire to. And so we now, as the top of the company, need to really actively drive that diversity to the levels below us. And then that will then in turn reinforce the new smart graduates we have coming in through our graduate programs who are quite diverse, right? We've got lots of women coming in at graduate level, but it trickles down as, as as the women get more senior. And so we really need to make sure that, A, they see the role models right on top. And so, C, there is a valid career path, whether you've got kids or you don't, you have a partner, you don't. There are different models how you can work it, make it work as a woman. And, and we need to make sure we role model those and, and provide support for the women to go through the runs.
1: If we look at the, the the now the more representative split from your management board, what are some of the more positive or or some of the impacts more generally of of having that uh, you know, as the top leadership in the business?
0: Well, it's it's a very recent development that we are fifty percent, but obviously we were before about thirty five percent women, and I think it is. If I just take the obviously on the team dynamics, it is a different team dynamics when you suddenly have got a very diverse team and you've got men as well as women and, and different brains and different, different ways of thinking, thinking and expressing yourself. So we as a leadership team have benefited from that. that. But of course, as, as, as the teams below us, um, I think because there is much more focus on diversity because we are recognizably, very diverse at this moment. So, uh, and I think I've mentioned this example to you before, we um, have recently been looking for a provider, for a consulting provider. And so we, we've we run a the typical beauty contest with, with a number of consulting firms coming, giving us their proposals. And only one of them has brought a diverse team and we have immediately picked up on that. And we have asked, don't you have any women working for you? I mean, these are big strategy houses. Where are the women on your teams? And, and don't you feel a bit awkward that you sit in front of a leadership team, which is very diverse, and we've got, you know, three strong women on, on the board, and you haven't brought a single woman? And, and again, I think if we were a board of all men, we would have probably not asked that question because, it, you know, it doesn't come naturally. And so I think because we have got that mindset of diversity is important to us. Uh, We have eventually, you know, obviously quality wise, uh, we've assessed the proposals on on its quality, but the diversity of the team has played an important part in selecting eventually the provider. And I think that's something that, you know, um, probably wouldn't have happened if we weren't diverse to the extent we are.
1: Now, I guess we can't really have this discussion without talking about COVID and the COVID crisis and the fact that the pandemic has had, you know, a very regressive effect on gender equality with women's careers disproportionately affected. So if we look at this you know, more broadly, it'd be great to get your perspective on what we have to do when we return to workplace to ensure women continue to progress.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, right? Because Absolutely, and you know, I'm I'm a single mom, so I know exactly how um, you know disproportionately affected we as women often were because we still expected to you know do a significant part of the homeschooling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so the stuff that has been there before COVID, right? Because a lot of the time in families, the woman goes and works, and then she comes back, and then she picks up the kids from school, and then she goes and cooks to dinner, and and you know, a lot of women bear disproportionately uh, larger amount of the household running as well. And COVID, I think, has just made it much more salient because suddenly there was very little boundaries between what's your work and what's, what's your home life because it all merged into one. You had kids schooling in one room, sometimes in the same room as you were trying to be on Zoom, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so I think what we need to do is, it's not only specifically for women. I think the one good thing, if there is one good thing about COVID, is it showed that we can do virtual working I'm not saying we should completely just abandon the office because I, for once, can't wait to be in the office some days a week. And I do miss that human contact and seeing people in 3D. But on the other hand, we also need to acknowledge that actually we, we don't need people sitting in the office Monday to Friday, nine to five. We don't, right? And we can be much more flexible as to what works for people. And if the model is two days in the office, three days at home, as long as the stuff gets done, why wouldn't that work? And I think, you know, women will benefit from that. And, you know, not only women, men will benefit from that as well. But given that, realistically, some of the household burden is bigger on women, I think they can actually make that flexible model work for them much better. And I think given that we now have switched that mindset and we've proven it works, We now just need to make sure we don't go back directly and just say, well, we forget all of that. Now it's Monday to Friday in the office, right? Because actually, no, it isn't. And it also isn't Monday to Friday at home. It is now on, well, what do we need? When do we need to come together as a team? And when can we actually just do virtual working and and just getting on with stuff, uh, regardless of of the location? And I think think that's really important. And I'm hoping we certainly as an employer are recognizing that. And we are definitely not going to expect people to come back exactly the same way as we were before. And I'm hoping that most employers are beginning to think like that, where, you know, it shouldn't be black or white. Actually, let's find something that works for people and actually represents value. Right. I mean, you know, in transport, we have been hit incredibly hard in terms of profits. And so in terms of benefits. Right. The financial benefits we are offering are not great because, you know, we've lost bonuses, we've lost long term incentives, etc. because, you know, the bottom fell off on our profits uh, in the past year. And this year is not fantastic. But actually, in terms of other benefits, something like really good flexibility is is really valuable to people. And so I think we need to we need to keep thinking and, and exploring in that direction.
1: Now, Yana, you were recently featured as a woman to watch by WIHTL, Women in Hospitality, Travel and Leisure. Now, in your view, what would you say are some of the key attributes to to make it in the industry as a woman? And have there been any industry mentors or role models that have supported you or, or continue to do so throughout your career?
0: Yeah, I guess uh, when I look at my career specifically, obviously what helped is the years in consulting, which you know tends to be quite diverse at the junior levels. But again, when you go to some of the more senior, at least when I was a consultant, I mean, remembering when I joined Bain back in 2005, there wasn't a single female partner in the London office. By the time I was leaving, eight years later, we had five or six right? So the, the drive for diversity has been um, quite dramatic, actually, in those years. And that definitely helps. So you, you have to be, you know, you, you almost grow up in your career, and I'm talking my post-MBA career, you grow up in a, in a company that actually is really striving for diversity. And, and diversity was a big thing, not only gender diversity, but any other diversity. And so some of these values are really instilled in you, you know, as you as you develop your career early on, and so that was that was immensely important to me. That I kind of when I went to my next job, the diversity was already part of the package for me. It had to be because I was coming from somewhere where, you know, I was used to that, and and so I think it is important to have those role models, and it is important to have those mentors. And of course, you know, a lot of the, the time, because women face similar experiences, you know, you do select a few good friends, whether they are peers or slightly more senior. And you keep those relationships. And I am still in touch with many of the women at Bain who, you know, we kind of, we grew up through the ranks together, even though now we are, some are still in Bain, some are in the different industries. And I think that network is is quite important, even if it's just for venting the frustrations of of having to work in environments where majority of, of people you work with are men. So that that for me actually was was the lucky part in that, I was already made aware of the diversity and and how to work as a woman um, early on. And and then again, I mean, in in many of the industries, I used to work as a consultant. I mean, I'd spent a lot of time in uh, in mining and, and, uh, you know, the industries which are not typically full of women. So I've been quite comfortable running teams which were full of men. And, And so, again, I learned throughout my career that it's okay if I'm the the boss of a team of men. And I'm, again, quite comfortable being in that role. It it takes time, right? And I think it's it's also a confidence issue, which, again, may be a generalization, but I think women typically are not quite as confident to start with and have to invest much more into, into building that confidence. And I think that, again, over the years, I've got to the point where I don't actually really feel like oh my god I'm the only woman in the room because it's something that's actually quite okay with me and and I tend to think much more okay what type of people do I have in the room and how do I need to manage the dynamics and so I think in terms of advice for women well keep your network of your women friends from your early career because it's really good and as you get more senior you can help each other and then also look out for and it doesn't have to be you know a typical stereotype of of working mom or whatever pick a model that works for you and see whether you can find someone who kind of is within that similar type of journey that you think will work for you and um, and just go for it
1: Fantastic, Jana. Well, I mean, that was a a great session. So thank you for taking the time to not only share your story with us, but some of the insights and learnings and challenges and advice that you would give to the next generation of of women starting their careers in strategy. Um, There's been some fantastic insight. So thank you for being a part of our Women in Leadership
0: Spotlight series. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Barn
1: Partnership Spotlight on Podcast. To stay updated with future episodes, subscribe to our channel on the podcast app.